Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team in Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. It is Wednesday night, 8 p.m. That means it is time for a new episode of Real Hawk Talk. Welcome to all of you and to my co-hosts, as always. Uh, As you can tell, I am not home tonight. I am traveling to the lovely city of San Francisco, and uh, I have not found any 49ers fans that I needed to uh, talk down off their uh, pedestal yet after their stirring week one victory but uh i am here to talk with uh evan hill at evan hill sea on twitter evan how are you doing dude cheers happy to be back after a week one win and excited to break down the Steelers game yes undefeated the undefeated seahawks and you know what i'm sorry i'm sorry the seahawks are not just undefeated you know what other big celebration i need to i need to make note of Jason Myers has not missed a single kick in the 2019 football season. I just want to start that off. He hasn't, he hasn't attempted a single Win! kick. Jason Myers is 100%. That's all I hear. He's, he is, he is the divide by zero error. Not. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. <laughs> is it just me or jeff, is nathan frozen in like a weird position okay there we go uh, jeff is is absent from he's just actually logged in to show his empty room uh nathan at nathan e11 uh welcome back good to see you uh are you still optimistic and predicting 11 wins after uh the first game of the season uh 
I was never optimistic. I was realistic. And yeah, I think there's still about a 11 win team, 10, 11 win team. I can see that still. I like it. All right. That's good to hear. We will at one point have, uh, you know, real Jeff Simmons on the show. He, it will not just be his messy room and bed. I mean, hopefully we will not be observing him go to sleep at night and those kinds of things. Oh, wow. He just appeared. Holy shit. It's like a, not like the ring or something. Like, wow. Jeff, are you there? Am I working? Oh, you have beautiful connection now. Holy there cow. Oh, there we go. Brief scare. How you doing, Jeff? Well, that was annoying. I thought I was over that. It was like the, it was like the Seahawks opener. Frustrating, annoying, well, well, all too familiar, predictable. It was. It was all of those things. You know, I will tell you, Jeff, my favorite Canadian that I've talked to today. I, I, I had drinks with a bunch of folks from my, my team and have like a Canadian posse in our organization, like multiple Canadians and you know, some of them are French Canadian, which oh, that's a different kind. That's a different kind entirely. It, it, it is. So you know, I, I feel very thankful that we're now back to uh, safe territory with our Toronto posse um, up there. And uh, good to see you. Good to hear you, um, guys. We got we got a, a lot to talk about. I, I, I before we get into all that, I will pause for a second and just uh, um, thank everybody. We are actually like just on the getting to a hundred patrons um, on patreon.com. I think we're a couple away from getting to that threshold and that milestone. It's a really big deal. Um, Thank you for everyone that's joined. There's a few people that have joined recently that I've not shouted out yet on Twitter, plan to do that soon, but it's a really growing community. It's helping us build the show up. Uh, And I just want to thank everyone at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. If you haven't already joined, please do so. Um, help build out the show, help us build more content. And um, if you're not uh, ready to do that, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're growing that uh, hand over fist. It's, it's growing really quickly, which is great. Um, leave comments, like, thumbs up, great. Leave reviews on iTunes. Um, <clears throat> anything you can t- just talk to people about the show, listen to the show, um, share the show. Um, all those things are super helpful. So just wanted to take a second to uh, ask people to help continue supporting the show as we're growing and changing it and eventually we'll figure out how to get the guys backdrops that you know aren't just their you know their bedrooms uh, that's something we're working on uh, yeah let's see what happens I- i'm sure with the bandwidth challenges we're having today for whatever really well uh i can only imagine i i think it might my internet it's telling my internet connections unstable that doesn't sound good I know all too well how that feels. Ugh, obnoxious. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have no control over this down here, San Francisco. Believe it or not, that- believe it or not, Jeff is the smoothest video right now. He really is. Oh God, oh God, I, I've fallen that far, huh? Yeah, it's a new, uh, it's a new year. <laughs> I do want to say hi to Coral Guy and Chad, who's from Rhode Island. Um, Really awesome to have you aboard. And yes, I hear people complaining about hotel Wi-Fi. I don't have a choice, folks. This is what I got. You know, 
you know, I, I could draw. Probably would be better for many reasons, but I'm not going to because I want to see. I want to talk to the guys. You're welcome to listen. You're welcome to not. But um, we should obviously talk about the game last week. Now we had the post game show. We should cover that a little bit. But I just saw the news about. Tyler Lockett and Tedrick Thompson not practicing today and that that's what new injury news start there. Um, I will start by sharing maybe some inappropriate reactions to that news, which were one. Holy crap. Why is Tyler Lockett injured? How did that happen? He's super important to the team. We don't want to see him down. And then pretty shortly followed by, Oh, sweet. Tedrick Thompson's not going to play this weekend. Uh, maybe somebody else will play safety. Uh, Nathan, that's actually your best backdrop so far. You're making progress. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's been, it's been the whole time. Just for you, Evan. Oh, my God. He looks like he's going to eat your head. I hate Big Ben so much. <sighs> His head is massive. And that, you see it? Did you see him on Sunday night? He looked massive. It, it, big. He looks like he should not be able to play football, but he can. And looks he, like he ate three. Got uh, under him. So, uh, Evan, honest, honest, honest. What was your reaction when you saw the news about Tedrick Thompson being on the injury report today? Uh, not sad. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm ex- I mean, I hope he gets healthy, but if it means an opportunity for Marquise Blair or Delano Hill to uh, take the spot, of course, I think that's an, an exciting opportunity for them. Um, I don't remember Tedrick getting hurt during the game, so it was a little bit of a surprise. I think even the title locket thing was more surprising, but, um, you know, either way, I, 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 don't, I think practically speaking, I don't think it's a big loss. I don't think Tedrick is anywhere near the quality starting free safety that we need. So bummer, he's hurt, but don't really care as bad as that sounds. I think that's even like a tepid take for you. I think you're holding back. Uh, um, uh, Jeff, how, you, how, how, how much better are the Seahawks if Tedrick Thompson doesn't play this weekend? Okay, I'm glad you framed the question that way. I didn't have to answer the one before because I would have probably said something I regret but yeah I think Tedrick Thompson I don't know every team perfectly I think he's the worst starting free safety in the NFL um I think he's he's a safety that can't run I know the the numbers guys were right all over that that he's slow he was supposed to be hailed I saw Nathan and some other guys tweeting out some of the team's uh, post draft comments about how he has all these ball skills and ball skills and ball skills it's been what three years now and I would never seen him make a play on the ball. Maybe he does it in practice. I said he's like a jump shooter that hits all his jump shots in a practice, but in the game he goes 0 for 9. But he does this every week. So he just doesn't make plays. He's not fast. He's not a good tackler, and he has no ball skills. So I don't see what – Pete always talks about unique qualities. He doesn't have any. He's – I don't see what he does well. So I, I hate watching him play. He's – we were so spoiled through all those years, and – I don't know much about how Delano could play, but I thought he looked okay at the end of last year. Marquise Blair has a lot of upside, but a lot of he's going to have a lot of learning curve. But for me, it's just anyone over 
Tedrick. I, I think Tedrick, I get it. The, I think he's the worst starting free safety in the NFL. So any player that goes in, I think, is an upgrade. Then if, you know, Delano Hill subtracted two letters from his name this offseason, but could he be an addition to this defense? You're going to consider it for a while? Uh, probably not. Um, <laughs> All right, am I good now? Hey, keep going. Okay. Uh, no, uh, I don't think uh, Leno Hill is, is going to be the answer here. I mean, if, if uh, uh, Tedrick can't go, I think it's really you're hoping Blair gets the job. How many, out of curiosity, uh, you might know, but if you had to guess, how many games has Tedrick uh, Thompson started in his career? You guys know? It's like 11. Yeah, it's 11. It's not even a full season. And uh, so I'm going to go against the grain here a little bit. They used him a little differently last week. He obviously completely botched that play and has shown nothing to this point. Um, but they had him um, playing much less of the single high. They had him in, in more of the middle of the field, robber, hook zones, all that stuff, um, playing downhill. And he looked more lively. Um, and so this is – I'm actually kind of bummed about this because while I'm not hopeful for him, I don't think he's going to – turn into anything. I think Jeff is probably right about him being the worst starting free safety in the league. Um, but they were doing something different and he looked a little frisky here. And um, I don't know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see if he, if he gets the job back, if he gets to start this week and doesn't, you know, doesn't lose that job. It'll be interesting to see if this kind of uh, turns him into something a little bit more interesting than what we've seen so far. I will not stand for that on podcasts. I will not stand for that. You cannot be a Tedrick Thompson supporter after what he did in that game last week. Come on. You cannot tell me that after that game, you won't see more of him, not less of him. What? Come on. I mean, I don't, I I don't want to necessarily. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, (laughs) okay. If that's the last game Tedrick starts for the Seahawks, I'm not going to shed any tears, right? But assuming that he started over Blair and Hill for a reason, um, then, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if this can't, you know, if if doing something a little different with him, putting him in different spots on the field, asking him to do some different stuff other than just, like, backing up and staying over the top, um, which he does extremely well. Uh, to like the detriment of every other thing he should be doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will say I'm interested to see if this doesn't turn him into something a little bit more useful. All right, all right, I'll allow it. I will allow it. I, 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 <laughs> Multiple viewpoints, Brian. That's what you like about having us all here. We all bring know, something different I'm, to the table. I'm impatient tonight, <laughs> and he, I, I'm at my wits end with Tedrick Thompson. I do not want to see him on wearing my team's uniform ever again i'm so done with that guy and i will admit that someone to be that bad at football and to still be getting this many starts does not in bode well for the guys that are sitting behind him there are reasons that tedrick thompson has been starting and leno hill has not 
And there are reasons that Marquise Blair, who has a bunch of talent, but let's admit, like, he gave up two touchdowns or two, like, he made it to, like, a number of bad plays in just a few preseason snaps. Like, there's reasons those guys are sitting. And if, if Tedrick Thompson is your best option at safety, that's the issue. But I'm ready to see anybody else. Anybody Ryan. else. Because I don't, I don't believe that Tedrick Thompson has upside. I feel like you're giving the coaching staff a little bit of a pass there. Like, like that's assuming they're making the correct decision. What if they're not making the correct decision? What if Marquise Blair or Delano Hill right now, one-to-one, are the better starter at free safety? Like, do we know that? Do we not know that for sure? Like, I, I, I'm a little hesitant to say that the coaching staff is 100% correct here. All right. I, I will I, – I, this will – this is – this is a – into what it's like to work for me in my day job i will ask you like what are the criteria decisions what do you think the coaches are what are the criteria that they're using to determine who should start at free safety coverage reliability playmaking abilities uh football iq understanding of the scheme but when it comes to those four items tedrick thompson like maybe the most important category in my opinion is playmaking capability, the ability to turn the ball over, you know, give the offense a shot. Like Tedrick is horrible. He's horrible. And he's not that reliable in coverage either. I think that's a really great point. Nathan, I'll get you in second point is I think you hit some really good criteria. I think the weighting of those criteria for, the coaches are different than your weighting. So I don't think that turning the ball over is the top weighted factor for them. I do think how well that he knows the system and how much he is going to be in the correct assignment so that they can keep people from getting over the top and creating big air as a criteria. And they trust Tedrick to be the guy that will make those decisions more appropriately. So you're right. It could be that they're, the, the, their factors, that the weighting that they're doing is is off, but I think that's part of getting there. Sorry, Nathan, you were going to say something. I jumped in. Uh, no, I was just I, uh, uh, I was kind of laughing to myself because what's really funny about Hedrick is he's a Ruskell player. Uh, and I, I think he's the first Ruskell player we've seen yes. since, like, John came in. Yeah, Jeff, you were comparing him to Kelly Jennings, and it's kind of like – yeah, like yeah. Kelly Jennings was in the right place a lot. <laughs> he was a twig, bodied, and yeah, he's like uh, yes. Who's I'm trying to think of the least favorite Seahawks in like this regime, and like who's up there with Tedrick? Because he's got to be Kerry Williams. Yeah, like Blair he's got to be at that level. Blair Walsh, like I cringe watching him play. And just, that play was just so devastating, and it was so bad. And I, I am I am sick of the Tedrick stands, man. Like Michael Sean Duger, who I I think is one of the best Seahawks beat writers. We've had him on the show before. I hope we have him on the show again. He clearly is in Tedrick's tor- corner and is like, you know, he scatters more chances, and he keeps tweeting out all the quotes from all the players that have said that he is a. He makes every play in practice and he's turning the ball over and he's a ball hawk. And we heard KJ Wright last year on the driving with G say how he's going to be the next. Like, I am so friggin' sick of hearing how Thompson makes every play in practice. Like, I don't care. He has never showed even 
a single preseason snap, anything that makes me want to see more of him in a game. And I will challenge any of you to, 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 to tell me a Seahawks defensive play that was worse that you can remember than what Tedrick did in that game. I'm someone brought the Dion Bailey play in, in uh, St. Louis a few years ago when Kim was out, this was, I think in overtime or maybe sent it to overtime when he fell down and Lance Kendricks caught the touchdown that, that, you know, and I think that's a good compare except for the fact that Rick Bailey tripped. He fell down. Like, yes, it was like a play. Kendrick just stood there and completely misjudged the ball. Like, you no, know, the worst right fielder in little league that you just bench because they have no athletic ability whatsoever to judge the flight of a ball. Like that was the easiest play. And he still didn't even touch the ball. I won't make the whole show about Tedrick. I, Oh, I, I really hope we see someone different. Well, here's on, the thing though. Sunday. So, so I think that there's encouraging signs because one, like I said, he didn't just play uh, single high. In fact, I think McDougal took the vast majority of the snaps there. I, I didn't count it, uh, but for what I went back and rewatched, it was almost it was probably 80 percent McDougal where you would expect Tedrick to be. Um, and so one that maybe shows that they realize that Tedrick is just not, it's just a mentality thing. And there's obviously athleticism issues, um, but he's very conservative, doesn't have the range, obviously horribly misplayed that one ball. Um, but then the other thing that's encouraging about that is that if they are going to start moving him up and, and playing him more like where you'd expect to see a cam chancellor, um, or coming up like that, at least. Um, then I think that, you know, Evan's waiting of looking at him as a playmaker more than just a guy who's assignment correct. Um, I mean, that has to become a factor, right? Because um, Pete preaches turnovers. And so if they're going to start, they're already changing what they're doing with him and they're putting him in a position where he's going to have to make plays, I think, to stay on the field for very long. All right. I, 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 could, I could really could just continue talking about it because I'm so freaking annoyed with having – him on the team and and uh but but let's move on let's move on the tyler lockett injury do we have any information about that let's let, let's for a second you know assume that we don't um if i like it can't go on sunday how does that affect your confidence in the seahawks ability to win that game and let's start with you jeff um it Completely diminishes it. I think, why? I think why? Because I I think the Seahawks need to beat Pittsburgh through the air, and I think they need to pass more, and they need to pass more effectively. And this wide receiver core is paper thin without David Moore, a bunch of rookies, or Sewell wasn't even up. Malik Turner didn't even have a target. I don't see how you can pass the ball with this. I just feel like the Seahawks are just going to become super conservative and I think they'll be incredibly easy to defend and the play action game will be tougher. I need Lockett to do to win how we think they should win and win how even they want to win. I don't, I don't think they have enough weapons to go on the road and beat Pittsburgh without Lockett. Evan, what's your, what's your uh, interpretation of. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, number one, I don't care what happened on Sunday night against the Patriots. 
uh, you know, against the Patriots. Like, I, I think they are a dangerous team. The Pittsburgh Steelers are a dangerous team, especially being down, um, you know, a game. Oh, they're starting the season 0-1, essentially. Um, they, the Steelers are very capable of scoring a lot of points. I don't care if Antonio Brown is gone. I don't care if Juju got shut down last week. I don't care if Le'Veon Bell is a Jet. The Steelers can score points. Big Ben is a Hall of Fame quarterback, as much as I hate him. He is deadly. He is a threat. He is a problem. And the Seahawks need to be able to score points and combat that. They will, if they win this game, have it done through the air. They have to be willing to – they have to have receivers that are going to get open. This cannot be a game where 14 of Russell Wilson's 20 targets are going to Chris Carson. It just cannot happen this way. Tyler Lockett has to be, you know, on the receiving end of several deep explosive plays. If Tyler Lockett isn't playing, I think our chances are greatly diminished. Um, you know, we all saw it last year. Perfect passer rating for Russell Wilson when throwing to Tyler Lockett. Uh, DK Metcalf looked great last week. Why did he look great last week? Because Tyler Lockett was getting double teamed almost the entire game. So Tyler Lockett needs to play Sunday or DK Metcalf, who is our starting number one re- number one receiver, is going to get double teamed. And then who's our who's our receiver behind him? Uh, Freaking Gary Jennings. Is that who Russell Wilson is going to be targeting all game? We've got problems. Tyler Lockett has to start, or or I could see them losing this game. Well, I I could see them losing the game either way. I think we all probably could. But but look at it for a second, Nathan, and say take this scenario. Tyler Lockett does not play, but the offensive line for the Seahawks plays 75% better than they did on, on, on this blocking. Let's just go with that for a second. In that scenario, Russell Wilson has more time uh, to find targets, to actually run the plays as they were called, uh, maybe even run the ball a little bit, which I know you'd be super excited to see. Uh do they literally like in, even in that situation where the offense is essentially functioning, you know, to give the receivers opportunities to get open, do you feel like they still without Lockett don't have much of a chance of winning that game? Even if, if the other players step up. I mean, their offensive line was bad enough last week that 75% better still might not be enough to, get them to where they're counteracting losing uh Tyler um but I mean yeah I mean sure like if if they if the offensive line can go out and have a really good game and you know and play well across the across the board and um that obviously would help a ton but uh still like they're just so deficient for weapons that um yeah, even with other parts of the, the offense playing well, it's hard to imagine that they're going to, you know, be able to win any kind of a shootout if it comes to that with, with Pittsburgh. You, you, need a lot of, you need a lot of help, not just from the offensive line, but probably from the defense too. Well, they clearly need more C.J. Crosice in that scenario, let's be honest. Um, that... <laughs> C.J. Crosice, like, might Stop be their it. second receiver if Tyler's hurt. <laughs> Oh Jesus! <laughs> you just said it though. Like, if if Tyler's hurt and Moore isn't back, then you're talking about okay, who's the better receiver, Jerron Brown or CJ Procise? Like, uh... <laughs> I mean, just to be played 
play it out for a second. I think John Ursua becomes the guy that gets pulled in in, in that scenario. If if uh, Lockett wasn't play, I think it's the the best comp for running some of those routes. You probably get more Malik Turner than anybody you know, other than maybe me, wants to see. But I, I think uh, uh, Malik becomes a, a larger part of the, the game plan. Um, I think you know Will Disley. I mean, that was a big part of the injury report today, too. He was full participation in practice. And a few days ago, it wasn't clear whether he had a serious knee injury. So, um, you know, those become important points. But, yeah, I'd like uh, where – I mean, setting the Tyler Lockett piece aside for a second, where do you guys see the advantage for the Seahawks against the Steelers? Where do you feel – like there is an edge for Seattle in this game, knowing that they're going into one of the best home fields in the NFL against a team that is 0 and one and just got their butts kicked in new England and is going to fight like hell. It's 0 and two, you got to have some meaningful edges to, to win a game like that. And, and Nathan, starting with you, I mean, are there places where you look at that matchup and you're like, all right, I think the Seahawks could could make some some progress here. Um, I mean, obviously, we don't know what Pittsburgh is quite yet. Like, if they really are what they were last week, then they, Seattle probably has a lot of edges. Um, but I think that you know, assuming that that Pittsburgh is kind of still the team that people thought they were going to be, or still the team that they were even just last year. Um, I think the biggest edge probably just comes in Russell Wilson and, you know, his X factoriness and, and what he can, you know, what he can pull out of his ass. And so um, I think they're probably pretty well matched up um, mostly. Uh, and then, like you're saying, it's on the road against a team that's, that's, you know, if a team's going to be hungry, this is definitely going to be a time. And so then you're just really hoping for Russ to have some magic. Jeff, what about you? Uh, I'd say the area the Seahawks can still get in terms of the pass rush. I thought there was a lot of promising signs last week. Uh, Clowney was pretty rusty, and he made a pretty big impact, and you saw what he did for a guy like Quinton Jefferson, who had probably the best game of his career. If Ziggy comes back and Ziggy is an active player, the big thing I noticed watching Pittsburgh last week is – I know New England has an ability to just make teams look different and make them play left-handed or whatever, but Pittsburgh lost their offensive line coach, uh, Mike Munchak, who was probably the best other than New England's guy, probably the best offensive line coach in the league. And I know we, we probably thought the Seahawks pass rush would kill the Bengals last week with some of their missing players. Uh, the Steelers, again, their, miss, their center got hurt last week, Marquise Pouncey. He didn't practice today either. And the Seahawks pass rush is really going. I think that's an area they can exploit with them because the Steelers are similar to the Seahawks in a sense is they don't have a lot of weapons in the passing game anymore. Well, they went from having Brown and Juju to just Juju and Dante Moncrief is one of these guys that everyone's trying to fix every year, but he hasn't figured it out. They got some young players mixed in there. Vance McDonald, a tight end who used to be on the Niners. He's one of these guys who has a ton of potential but can never quite get there. So I think if the Seahawks have that kind of pass rush game where Clowney takes a step forward a little better, um, some of the other guys are opened up against kind of a line that's not as good as we're used to, 
I think the Seahawks could really benefit from that. And I think that's the way to kind of stop big Ben in a game like this. Evan, we've, we've talked in, in uh, the real Hawk talk chat on the side, uh, the group, there, there's a number of us that kind of feel oddly optimistic about this game. This is obviously before the Tyler Lockett news. Why? What, what is it that makes you feel like the Seahawks have a chance to go in there and steal a game on the road? Yeah, it's a one-position battle that I'm actually shocked, to be honest, I haven't heard you guys mention yet. And it, it, it's the defensive backs for uh, the Steelers. Uh, Joe Hayden is injured right now. Um, the name Cameron Kelly, I'm not sure if many Seahawks, Seahawks fans know who that name is. It's a former AAF player, actually, that signed with the Steelers and was a huge liability uh, Sunday night against the Patriots. Um, a complete problem in coverage poor tackler. He's the starting free safety for the Steelers. I think Russell Wilson's deep ball and football IQ is going to shred their secondary. That's why I say, I think if the, if the Seahawks are going to win this game, it's going to be done through the air. Uh, they're, they're, you know, their defenders in the backfield are, are unreliable. They're a problem. They're, they're, they're a position group. They should attack. Um, there's just not a lot of names back there outside of Joe Hayden that are reliable, not in just coverage, but playmaking abilities for them. Um, I think Russell Wilson's going to take advantage of that. Um, when you think of the other, you know, defensive line injuries that they have, whether it be TEJ Watt, who's obviously probably their best defensive player, honestly, um, it's looking like a good matchup for Russell to, for Russell to take advantage of them. Um, but my real concern is really that, like, if I'm a Steelers fan heading into Sunday, I'm worried about our defensive back groups you know, defense against, against Russell Wilson's deep ball. You know, we all know Russell Wilson has one of the best deep balls in the NFL, if not the best. Um, if he, you know, connects with Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf a couple of times, that could be a frustrating, frustrating um, chain of event for chain of events for Steelers fans. Yeah. I mean, if I'm putting my optimistic Homerish hat on as a Seahawks fan, I'm, one, I'm, I, I'm agreeing with, I think, Jeff around the a little something similar to what the Seahawks are with losing Antonio Brown and now the number two receivers, their number one, who's now getting a lot more attention and they don't have a lot of depth at receiver. Like Dante Moncrief is, is not super interesting and some of the, you know, James Washington has got some top end speed, but he's not like, you know, he's not a, a game breaker yet. And I think that the Seahawks run defense can, can actually be potentially effective against James Conner. And I can imagine Pittsburgh trying to focus on establishing the run a little bit at home and just being, uh, you know, powerful that way and, and not giving up a lot. And then on offense. Yeah. I can see the advantages in the secondary, especially for the Seahawks, the safeties are not very good, as you guys have said. But if I if I let my rational mind take over, like as much as possible, and just be objective, I mean, Big Ben against the Seahawks secondary, no matter who his receivers are at home, feels to me like that's a pretty big advantage. Probably, I think this is a game where Shaquille Griffin, I thought, played a really good game. I think a lot of folks did in the in the first week, it, like for him especially. It wasn't like an amazing game, but it was a solid game. 
you know, seeing how he and Trey Flowers hold up this week, I think is going to be very different than what we saw in week one. I don't think there's going to be as much zone coverage. I think there'll be more man coverage that they do. And, and it'll be interesting to see how they hold up. I also look at the Steelers pass rush last year was third in the NFL in sack rate. Like they've got a number of guys that get to the quarterback and (laughs) that was a brutal, brutal pass protection performance by a a Seahawks offense that has had a number over the years and to go on the road for the first time. Better pass rushing teams. That's a tall order. So, you know, like if I look at it rationally, it's hard for me to see Seahawks really having a clear advantage in any one place at the same time, for whatever reason, collectively, if Russell comes out and is and given some time, I think that's the most important factor. If he's given time to throw, I I agree with you guys. I think they could win. So it's it's a it's a bit of an odd it's an odd game. I, I I don't exactly know what to expect. And who knows? Maybe Pittsburgh is the team that lost thirty three to you know thirty to three thirty three three whatever it was in week one. And you know. This will, we'll look back and say this is one of Seattle's easier games on the schedule. Who knows? Um, talk to me for a second, guys, about what you want to see on the defensive side um, that, that needs to change from, from, you know, even from what we saw last week. Like, there was a lot of yards given up through the air. Um, you know, I went out a little bit uh, against the grain and said I actually thought the defense uh, played pretty well overall. Um, Nathan, what what are the things that are concerning to you that you're like you're wanting to watch and see the Seahawks, you know, clearly take a step forward in coming into week two on defense? Um, it would be cool if they like tried schematically a little bit this <laughs> They like, some of this is getting a little, like, out of proportion. Like, they didn't only play base and, like, they didn't only play too high. Uh, but they did it a lot. Um, and, uh, like, I think arrogant. But I think that they were pretty arrogant um, across the board. Um, and so, actually, you know, I, I don't know if they just try to sit back in base and they just try to say, okay, Ross Berger, go ahead and see if you can beat us. Um, he might like Dalton wasn't going to Dalton got lucky uh, that Tedrick blew that one. And then they had a, a flea flicker where they got another touchdown and, and they made plays that way. Um, but like, I think that you could see like with the red zone struggles that they had, uh, Dalton wasn't going to take anything that wasn't given to him. Um, but, but Ben will. And so I want to see some, I don't even know if it's creativity. Can we try just putting like five DDs on the, on the field? Maybe that might be cool. Um, I'd like to see that. And then, um, I mean, if you can get a healthy Ansa and a healthy, uh, clowny out there for a, a chunk of snaps, that'd be fun too. Jeff, one of the things that I would put out there that I would like to see is and it's I will also acknowledge it's probably highly unlikely is if they're having protection problems 
with their deep play action passes. I'd love to see them go more to their screen game, more to some of the quicker passes and not immediately fold up shop and just run the ball straight up the middle. Like, I think that there's an in-between in this, in this conversation around run versus pass about, you know, are there some quicker, more conservative passes that they can incorporate that fit the philosophy, you know, of Pete Carroll, but don't just, you know, make them incredibly predictable and, and uh, defensible. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. And I thought I've seen you making this point a times this week because I think Shoddy and Pete, whoever ran the offense last week, they actually did pass a little more on early downs and they were using play action. I tracked all the drives, but the biggest problem really was they were so reliant on long developing play action plays that their line was so bad. They had no chance to just get started. So you're right right now, the way it works is when those plays are not working, they seem to just revert back to running up the middle, which is an incredibly short-sighted and probably stupid way to play football in this era. So Brock Heward talks about this a lot. And he says, mine isn't working. There are bunnies a team can do. I've seen this. Other teams have done it. Where you can counteract at blocking. And things like quick passes or moving the pocket a little more and increasing tempo because Russell's so good in the two-minute drill and those late game situations they don't seem to have that fallback plan in terms of the passing game since who knew the rams well the new coach knew the seahawks well with from the days of the rams knew exactly how to attack seattle on those long developing plays have a fallback plan and that was such a big criticism of the dallas game last year where last year they went a little too heavy on the run in that playoff game this one they kind of 50 50 in neutral game scripts but yeah they need to adjust better in terms of when things are breaking down pass protection wise yeah like if justin Britt plays like that and you're getting pressure right at the middle it's hard to run any play but they have a backup passing game and i know some people love hearing that but right now that's the i think that's the most frustrating part of shoddy is other than and 16 stuff and all the give up stuff they don't have a plan when their pass pro isn't perfect on what to do. And that's what New England does. So getting the ball out quick, since he did so well last week, so the Rams do well. I don't know if it's more design reads, but they need something different other than that developing. Action game on early downs was actually predictable last week, and I can almost call it before it was going to happen. And if I can do it, I'm sure other defenses can do it. Nathan, you've been some of the representative of uh, analytics, Twitter, nerd, nerd Twitter um, for our show. And, you know, we've obviously gone back and forth on this at times, but is there, is there, what's the perspective on types of passes? I know passes to running backs are considered lower value or low value overall. They're maybe better than a run, but, you know, is there, is there an in-between? Is, is there something where, I mean, is the only good pass a deep pass? Is the only good pass a play-action pass? Um, you know, what's, what's the, what does analytics Twitter have to say about types of passes um, and which are most valuable? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, typically the farther down the field, um, the better. Uh, obviously, because you're getting more yards. Um, uh, typically, passes to receivers are better. Um, but that is more true of receiver routes than receivers per se, like the player. Um, so the whole thing about like targets to running backs, uh, running back targets are better than a run and they're obviously better than a sack. Um, but they're not, uh, better than, you know, a, a regular pass play down the field to a receiver or on a receiver type route. Right. Um, so, you know, focusing on to get your running back the ball in space, three yards behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, obviously it can be good. We saw Chris Carson score a touchdown, right? But generally those are, are lower value plays. So I think the sweet spot um, is really around uh, 11 yards or something like that, I think is when you really start to see the most value. Obviously that makes sense because you're picking up first downs in a lot of cases there. Um, but yeah, pretty much anything that's that's kind of just down the field on typical wide receiver type routes are going to be your most valuable things. Um, play actions help uh, a ton. Um I don't know that play action is um, – I, I don't know that there's any route that particularly benefits more on play action. I mean, maybe it's the deep stuff still. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was actually really cool because we had talked about this last week about um, – I think it was last week – talking about what do we want to see from the offense, like what, what can they do better, and we talked about play action. And even though they were really high last year, something like 35%, I think they were, they were like top five maybe um, – and we talked about pushing that, right, and seeing what they can do and seeing what, what can happen in football if you start doing play action like half the time. And, hey, look at what the Cowboys did last week. They ran play action about half the time, and they, like, blitzed the Giants. So, um, yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, but, yeah, so, throw the ball down the field. That, that's kind of the thing. When you said 11 yards, is that depth of target, that the pass is traveling 11 yards is optimal, or that – was it an after catch that the plays are gaining that much? I believe it's 11 air yards and air yards are measured from the line of scrimmage. So you're talking about 11 yards down the field. Yeah. This is, that's, I, I wouldn't, don't quote me on that. I'll have to go look it up and, and see exactly. But yeah, I mean, basically those kind of inter intermediate routes are, are typically very valuable. Yeah. And the interesting part of it is if you look at Russell's, throw like depth like depth chart uh it's not depth chart his his uh his mate throw matrix last week um this past sunday it is deep balls short passes and nothing intermediate like there's just nothing intermediate and that's the part for me that's missing from the offense as an option and it's it's not about okay like let's not pass at all or let's run more or pass more or whatever it is variations on the pass game that don't sometimes unfortunately a 10-step drop um and and that would be I, I mean we saw a little bit of it dk metcalf caught a slant you know a couple slants you know and and we just don't see a lot of that so you know i, I don't know if if any change to the passing game would have made a huge difference the way that the protection was breaking down, but I would love to see, I would love to see the team um, find some ways to, you know, look when, when, uh, when Andy Dalton was under pressure, there was a number of times that as soon as someone broke free, 
he knew exactly where to go with the ball as his safety valve would dump it off and they'd get a few yards, sometimes more than a few yards. And that's a pretty typical thing. And the Seahawks just don't seem to have safety valves built into their offense um, where when something goes wrong, with it to at least get some positive yards and not take a negative play. I don't really understand why. looking for <laughs> was, uh, you're in the middle of the field and I, I think that there's some evidence that uh seattle started attacking the middle of the field a lot less um under shoddy but uh what was your question a re reluctance to take dump offs well just any kind of safety valve i mean it, it can be it can be a you know a swing pass it can be generally it is it is a running back um, in the flat is the most common safety valve that's available to a quarterback. If things are going wrong, there are others, um, tight ends or sometimes that's, you know, in a little hook hook curl like zone area, but like they don't seem like a lot of times that the Seahawks have those built into their plays. My is partially because Pete Carroll likes chunk plays and doesn't want to settle for short plays. And Russell Wilson doesn't actually like he often will pass up short plays because he's hunting for the explosive play and he doesn't particularly like to utilize those. So they might just consider that a wasted route runner or a wasted blocker to have that in the offense. And that's my guess, but I was wondering if you guys had other, other theories about why they don't do that. I mean, those routes are definitely there. Um, they obviously don't emphasize it. And I, th I think that what you said is probably, I think the, the simple thing here is, is probably the real thing, the true thing. Um, Pete wants big explosive plays. That plays into Russell Wilson's strengths. And so, you know, when Russ drops back, the, the point of these plays and what he is being coached to do is to get the ball as far downfield as he can, right, in a lot of situations. Um, and then you combine his ability to, you know, extend and, and all that. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of times where it's frustrating because you can say, hey, you, you can be sitting there screaming at your TV, dump it off, dump it off, dump it off, right? But like, Russ has confidence in his legs and he's got confidence in his arms and he knows what's expected. Um, he knows he's going to only get, you know, so many pass attempts a game. Um, and so he's going to try to make the most of it. And I think that's really the extent of it. Um, I think it's fair to say that, you know, the, the short game isn't his strengths. I don't think it's fair to say it's, it's a weakness or something he's particularly bad at. Um, I think that we see examples of it pretty frequently where, he's, where he does that stuff, right? Again, the Carson touchdown. I mean, Carson led the team in targets, right? And I, I don't think he had a single pass that he caught beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, he saw the Disley, you know, he hit Disley real quick on a, on a hot read. Um, so that stuff there is there, and, and when he takes advantage of it, it's usually pretty good. I just think that the emphasis is not on that. Yeah. Jeff, do you have any other thoughts before I, I was going to switch, switch gears, but any other thoughts on that topic? Uh, no, not particularly. I, I just think you see how like teams like the Rams and the Bengals last week, how they attack. The Seahawks just don't coach that way, and that's what we're so critical of for so many reasons there. 
very old school and they're very specific in how they believe Pete talks about the that stuff on the radio where he doesn't want to attack downfield and he doesn't like dinking and dunking. Unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with here. The other teams have success with it and the Seahawks, they just don't scheme that way. And that's why we've been so critical of this offense. And I don't have much more than that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, maybe it's been clear to everyone else this whole time, but it, it's becoming clear to me that it's it's less about run versus pass, and it's more about. In I think in Pete's mind and in the Seahawks' mind, is either they're able to get deep or slow developing play action and like some of these longer depth of target options, or they go to run, and there's not much of an in between. And and I think that that for me is an important nuance that. You know, I'm hoping to see change. And I, I will admit, I, I don't know that it would have been a huge difference <laughs> with as bad as the protection was. I don't know that that would have been like a major difference, but it certainly, I think it certainly would have been more productive than the running game that they went to. Um, and so that, that's part of why, you know, it's, it's been on my mind. So closing, closing shop. There's, there's one more topic, at least I wanted to cover. And if you guys have others, we'll, 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 we'll take those as well. DK Metcalf set a franchise record for a rookie um, in, in his first game, uh, broke Steve Largent's record for receiving yards with 89. Um, we've obviously talked about DK quite a bit on this show. Uh, you know, he's one of now 21 year old rookies to, to have gained that many yards in his first game, Randy Moss and Deshaun Jackson are two of the others. What, what did you, what do you guys think about his performance and, you know, does it, does it in your mind change your opinion of what he is going to be this year and maybe beyond? And, and let's start with you, Jeff. Yeah. I found it really interesting when Joe uh, fan was on us last week, he, he was talking about his ceiling being like an 1,000-yard receiver. And I, I took note of that right away. And he talks about it on Twitter a lot. And maybe because Evan was so optimistic about him, I went the other way and became extremely <laughs> pessimistic because of how his uh, a lot of his predictions have gone in the last couple of years with rookies. But, yeah, I think he looked extremely comfortable. And there, there didn't seem to be a huge – and this will probably change over the course of the year, but there – there didn't seem to be a big learning curve. The kind of routes he was winning on, they weren't just the deep ball. He had some slants. He, uh, he, he looked really, really comfortable. And that's what stood out to me. And that's kind of what Pete's been saying the whole time. And again, I take a lot of what Pete says with a grain of salt, but he just kept talking about how ready this guy was and how different he looks than like rookie receivers in the past. And really we haven't seen like a rookie receiver get acclimated. I'm not going to compare him to Doug Baldwin. He's like a borderline, like best Seahawks receiver ever other than Largent, but he looked really comfortable and that, that gave me a lot of optimism and it seems like they can use him in just a variety of different ways, not just deep passes and they can get him going on the scramble drill. I think a thousand yards is probably a little high, but in that range probably isn't 800 yards. Isn't that ridiculous? And if we asked me this a month ago, I probably would have said that's completely insane. Nathan, we've, we've talked about this a bunch and you and I have been tapping the brakes on what's realistic for a rookie receiver, especially in the Seahawks offense you know, he was led all receivers and targets, uh, which helps your cause for our, you know, what, 
what, if anything, changed about your projections and opinions of, of DK Metcalf after his first game? Yeah, I mean, obviously going out four catches, 86 yards? 89. Um, 89 yards. Um, that's impressive. Um, I, you know, I think that only makes you more confident in what he can do. Um, I think the thing that has made me uh, – has calmed a lot of my fears. I wouldn't say shift because uh, I know I've talked – I mean, yeah, we've talked a lot about, like, what's realistic here, but, like, I mean, obviously all, all the talent is there. And so that he's going out and doing this doesn't really surprise me. Um, I think it's just – I hope people are recognizing how impressive it is what he's doing. Um, but the thing that really, like, the really – the first thing I saw where I was like, oh, this could be real good – is that first preseason game, um, the corners look scared. Like, NFL corners looked scared of this guy. They didn't want anything to do with him. And I think that you saw that, um, especially early. I think that um, the Bengals kind of got a little bit more comfortable with him as that game went on a little bit. Um, but, like, early, you could just tell, like, these corners are giving this dude a ton of respect. Um, you know, this dude that just played his first NFL game and so that was the thing that I was really like okay this this really could be what you know the people who are going nuts over him that, that that's in the cards here because I think you're seeing it in the opposing DBs that they they recognize it and they see it and they're they're nervous to line up across this guy and so um that's been the coolest thing I think about uh DK so far and then you know he just went out and put the production on top of it and stuff and so yeah, I think there's nothing but encouraging, encouraging signs here. Yeah, I, that, that is a great call out. I, I, I've, I've noticed the same thing. I don't think. Yeah. And towards the way you just did, but I, I, I know exactly what you what you mean. And there's really there were there were three things that stood out to me about DK Metcalf in, the, in that first game. And, and one was his hands were impressive to me. Um, the the catch down the sideline when he was streaking down like contested catch um not an easy catch but he made it pretty confidently that catch over the middle when russell looped it up and he had a safety bearing down on him that was coming at his midsection while he was you know making that catch i would say 75 to 85 percent of receivers don't hold on to that ball all the way through the catch like you know there's a lot of contact there's you know, are you going to feel comfortable taking that hit? Are you going to like flinch when you hit the ground? Like there's a lot of things that go wrong in that play. That was a really impressive catch. So like his hands in general have not been something that people had a lot were pretty impressive, at least in that game. The other related to that is pretty much every one of his catches was contested. He was, he was not like, it wasn't like he was creating major separation and the fact is if he can make those catches without creating separation, that really lowers the bar for like what he needs to do to be able to impact a game. He doesn't need to run the perfect route at the perfect time and create three yards of separation to make a play. Someone can be actually covering him quite well and he still can be quote open um, and, and available to, to do something interesting. And Russell historically has been a guy that gives his receivers chances. Golden Tate was never a separation receiver. He was a guy that Russell trusted and would throw the ball 
jump ball 50 yards downfield. And Golden was really talented at high pointing the ball and would often make those plays. So I think that's also really encouraging. And the third thing related to what you were saying, Nathan, is he's shown that impact the game out catching the ball. He drew a pass interference penalty down there near the goal line. I think corners look like they are really concerned about how to handle him down there. And so his ability to, to kind of dictate that to those, those DBs, I think is great. I mean, for a, for a 21 year old rookie in his first game, those are big things. So I, I thought those were all encouraging. Um, you know, I haven't yet flipped to where I'm like, all right, this guy's going to go for 1200 yards receiving in his rookie year. Like that, I see a lot of folks like jumping to that already. And, and it's funny, even down here, all my coworkers are like, so should I pick up DK Metcalf in my fantasy league? And I'm like, I, I don't think so. I mean, like maybe, but I, I still like, I, I don't know that he's going to be a huge numbers guy just in this offense and based on rookies and, and over time, you know, maybe I, hopefully I'll be wrong, but regardless of whether he piles up tons of yards, there's pretty encouraging signs that he's going to be a good receiver for this team. Like it's hard to make a case that this guy is not going to be a big part of the future. And just that alone, how many years have we been looking for the Seahawks to get a size, you know, a size friendly receiver for Russell to be able to trust and grow with him? Like it's just a big deal. So, I mean, that, that, that's kind of my, my assessment of, of what I saw from DK. Um, all right. So uh, cover DK. Um, let's talk a really quickly predictions. Um, what you guys are expecting this week uh, as comfortable as you're, you're willing to be on um, what you're expecting to see in Pittsburgh. Uh, Jeff, uh, where's your gut? Uh, I'd like to know more pocket injury. I, I'm not alarm bells yet. It might be just a rest day. Does that I think it's going to be a close game, but I think Pittsburgh wins 2018. 20 to 18? 20 to 17. 2017. Nathan, where, where's your gut as of Wednesday prior to uh, the game? Um... I think there's going to be some points in this game. Um, I think that we're going to see the uh, the offense look quite a bit better. Um, I, I still don't think that they win this game, um, although I'm more confident than I was, um, you know, a week ago. But uh, I think probably something around 28 tour, 27, 24, 31, 28, kind of in that range. I'll go 28, 24. That's my official prediction. And Seahawks? No, Steelers. Steelers, yeah. Yeah. And first of all, I hate predictions, but I know people like hearing them. So, like, I would be fine never doing predictions on the show. But my superstitious side, like, jumps out, even though I know it has nothing to do with the outcome of the game. I, I don't have a strong feel on this one. Like, I could just as easily see the Seahawks winning 24-16 as I could see the Steelers winning 27-13. Like, I, like it's, I think this game is, is, I think this game is decided in the first quarter. I think we're going to know pretty quickly whether the Seahawks are going to be competitive in this game. 
I think it, it started to make the rounds. The Seahawks under peak. Well, sorry. The Seahawks and Heinz Field have never scored a single point. It's like 45 to nothing in the last two times they played. Um, those are the, you know, the last time they were shut out was the last time they were in Pittsburgh. Um, I think they're going to score points. That's not, you know, as, as much my concern. But in general, I believe in intangibles and your home opener after losing badly in your first game of the season. Uh, it, it's hard for me to imagine that the Steelers are going to – it's going to be a really tough game to win. It would be my best guess. Unless the Steelers are significantly worse than – a lot of folks think they are. I think the Steelers likely are the winners in this game. And, you know, I'll go with something like 27, 24, um, as, as a score, um, of, of, of what I see happening there. So I think we've all got the Steelers winning. Um, I know no one wants to hear that, uh, but it's tough. It's tough. And it's going to mean if, if that's the case, it means the Seahawks are going to come home and have to face the saints, um, one-on-one and it'll be a, a pretty big test for the Seahawks early in the season. So if they come out and win this game, that's a pretty big deal as well. And I think would, would, uh, would mean a lot. And I think in all of our minds, clearly, Nathan, it looked like you were about to say something. Yeah. I just, I, I feel like we, even though we've seen, you know, a game from both of these teams, I feel like it, it just isn't possible to know less about these teams. Like you've got, or, you know, the Steelers going on the road. Um, Big Ben is not good on the road. He's a much better quarterback at home, typically. Then they were playing the Patriots, who, you know, they're the Patriots. The The Seahawks are – they always start rough. Um, they almost outright said they took this game for grant, granted. Um, they, they they just did weird stuff. Um, they benched Ansa when, like – and Schneider basically came out and said, oh, yeah, you know – this is long-term thinking like clearly they just didn't care about this game and so you have two teams that are just complete wild cards and I, I the predictions are fun I like making predictions um I feel about as I, I have as little confidence in this prediction as I can ever remember having in any prediction I've made really no anything about either of these teams i'm right there with you yeah i think that's a fantastic point i I, new england always kicks pittsburgh's ass and they always play like the afc championship and belichick just has tomlin's number and pittsburgh looked lifeless but a lot of times when teams look lifeless and they go home for their home they look remarkably different and on the seahawks side i don't know what that game was that was one of the more frustrating Seahawks. i predicted like a rough opener last week that was far rougher than i thought it would be from their perspective, uh, they, they, they were using that rope-a-dope strategy. I don't know what the hell they were doing. That was an excruciating game to watch. And These are the kind of games Pete and the Seahawks usually come up with and find a way to win, even though you have no idea how. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of them because that game last week, was that team was painful to watch. It was. And I will just say the last time the Seahawks played the Steelers was one of the – ever watched. Like – that was a fantastic game and Ben big Ben and Russell went toe to toe. And it was just, it was, it was a truly masterful like quarterbacking performance on both sides. Um, you know, and I left that game 
with a ton more respect for Big Ben as a quarterback than I went into the game. I've always hated his guts for all sorts of reasons, but he made so many throws that I, I don't know how many people could have made. I mean, he just was amazing that day. So I, who knows? Who knows what we're going to see? It's such a it's such a wild card that even with all the injuries, like, oh, what if TJ Watt doesn't play? What if their center, Marquise Pouncey, doesn't play? What if Juju Smith-Schuster is actually his ankles worse and he's going to be out there hobbling? What if, you know, um, Joe Hayden doesn't play or is, is hurt? I'm not even sure if all those guys don't play. I still don't know what to expect in this game. Like, it's just, it's, who knows? Any of the biggest question mark is the Seahawks offensive line. If they're anything like they were this past week, it doesn't matter who's out there for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's going to win, period. If, if the Seahawks offensive line is credible, I think it doesn't matter who Pittsburgh plays, the Seahawks might win. That's how much I think it matters how that group plays. So, and we just don't know. We won't know until that game, until the snap happens. So, all right, fellas, let's wrap there. Thank you guys for your time tonight. As always, thanks for folks that are tuning in. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, join over on patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Uh, give us a review. Give us a like, share, talk to people about the show, all that good stuff. Tune in this weekend. We will have our post-game show. We may have some special guests even. We're working on that. But uh, you will also, hopefully, I will have a Softy and Hawk Blogger pod either tomorrow or Friday. So look out for that as well. And we'll be creating more great content. We had a win this week. And last year when we had wins, there was a certain guy on Twitter that used to make some pretty cool videos I don't know if that's going to happen this year, but I certainly have my fingers crossed. So keep an eye out on the YouTube channel. You'll get notified there when we have those to post. Uh, other than that, hey, everybody have a great rest of your week. Uh, enjoy. Pray for good health and pray for better safety play. Go Hawks.